The Aside podcast is made possible thanks to Drama Victoria. Hello and welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. I'm Nick Waxman and today we are interviewing Christopher Ashley, Tony Award winning director of Come From Away, opening in July 2019. Come From Away is on the VCE Theatre Studies Unit 4 playlist. To find out more about Come From Away, visit comefromaway.com.au. A moment of honesty, wonderful podcast listeners. What I usually do is record these podcasts online, get into the studio, and edit the responses by the directors. This conversation with Christopher Ashley had so much back and forth, I thought I would leave the original audio as is without any edits. You'll hear my fumbling and bumbling as I try to ask the right questions or give clarity, and you will hear his continual fantastic responses. The reason why I have done that for this episode is I believe it it captures the spirit of the interview and will give you a true sense of what Come From Away is really like and the passion Christopher Ashley clearly has for this material. So with only a few sneezes and coughs removed, I give you the unedited interview with Christopher Ashley on Come From Away. Come From Away is a multi-award winning musical with a multi-award winning creative team behind it. Christopher Ashley graduated from Yale University in 1984, where he studied maths and English. In 1997, he completed the Drama League program for directors. Christopher Ashley directed the musical Memphis, which opened on Broadway in October 2009, receiving the Outer Critics Circle Award nomination for Outstanding Direction and Tony Award nomination Best Director of a Musical. He previously directed the musical Xanadu on Broadway, receiving the Drama Desk Award nomination for direction. He has directed many stage works off-Broadway, including Manhattan Theatre Club. He directed Jeffrey by Paul Rudnick off-Broadway at the WPA Theatre in 1993, for which he received the Lucille Lortel Award for Outstanding Director. He also directed the new musical stage version of Freaky Friday, which premiered at the Signature Theatre Arlington, Virginia in October 2016. Without further ado, we welcome Tony Award-winning director Christopher Ashley. Christopher Ashley, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Come from away only just opened, is that right? Uh, we're we're about to have our third preview. An official opening is in about two weeks. And how was how was the, the those first few opening uh, previews? It was hallucinogenically wonderful. It was uh, just an amazing audience, and they were exuberant and quiet in the right places. That it's been great so far. Amazing. Um, so we'll jump straight into the, the questions for these VC Theatre Studies students. Could you describe the status, the motivation, or the characteristics of some of the more significant characters in the production? Yeah, so um, this is a show unlike any I've worked on before um, in that it's trying to tell the story of 7,000 passengers from all around the world who were stranded in a small town in Newfoundland of 10,000 people. So there's potentially 17,000 characters it's representing. And we're trying to do that with 12 actors. Um, So it's kind of a a very particular um, theatrical um, uh, coup we're trying to pull off where a very small number of actors tell an epic story. So they're doing that by transforming um, their dialect work, their physical work, um, um, the, the, how they suggest uh, their geography and their race and their class and their education. Um, and often they're having to turn on a zero count, really, like very, very quickly. So the, the, there's really, I want to say, 15 or 20 central characters, um, eight or so who are um, 
Newfoundlanders and um, eight or so who are uh, the come from aways, the plain people, the people who are stranded there during the week. So those 12 people are playing these central characters and many, many others. I think uh, during the course of the evening, they play at least two or 300 different distinct people. What do you, who has the highest status, would you say, and how is that executed from the performance perspective? Um, it's, well, it's interesting. The, the, um, the Newfoundlanders um, um, are hosting, right? They're trying to take care of. It's really a story about generosity and taking care of strangers. Um, and they're, so they really have the, I don't know, the power in the situation or they're, they're the ones who are inviting strangers into their home. Um, and they do this with an incredible amount of kind of humility um, while they're exercising that power. Um, so trying to get the, the, the tone of these Newfoundlanders right is a very interesting um, um, thing because they're doing this kind of amazing thing and never accepting any credit for it. So um, how you, um, you, you exercise your power modestly and without sentimentality is, is kind of one of the um, acting tasks for those people. And then the, the kind of the come from aways are in the middle of being kind of traumatized, really almost refugees. Um, so they're, the, these actors are flipping back between people are trying to take care of and people who are in the middle of the worst week of their life who really need taking care of. Right. So the question about motivation will be interesting there, how the different characters are motivated, one by generosity and the other desperation, or am I putting words in your mouth? No, that's, those are, I, I wish I had said those words. Those are perfect words. Um, no, I think that the, um, the motivation um, is maybe a, a too rare one in the current world, which is a kind of urge um, to um, open your home and to find someone who is in need, someone you don't necessarily know and take care of them. Um, so, I mean, you said it very, very well. The, the motivations are um, uh, rooted in kindness for the, for the, the Gander folks um, and very particular for the, for the come from aways. Um, for those of you who um, kind of were um, aware during the 9-11 um, period of time, there was a, um, certainly in America, and I think many places in the world, there was a kind of sense of like, wow, we're going to reconsider our lives um, uh, in the wake of that, um, you know, really horrific attack. So many people got married, got divorced, decided to have a children, changed their job, moved where they lived. You know, I mean, there was a sort of sense of, wow, if it could all end at any time, I better make sure I'm living a life I choose. So all of these refugees are in the middle of a massive identity crisis of who, if I, if, if life is, is as brief as it seems like it is, who do I choose to be and what kind of a person do I want to um, uh, choose? So you, you spoke uh, before, uh succinctly about the, some of the uh, 17,000 odd characters or 300 odd characters. <laughs> that they play throughout the piece. I'm wondering about the characteristics of some of those characters. Could you describe how some of the actors have used their ex expressive skills to create these characters, even accents and, like you said, geography? Absolutely. So it's a really dense piece. Um, the, it's, it, the, every moment um, has um, 
an immense, the, 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 all 12 were kind of activated straight through. The, people almost never leave the stage. Um, and we asked the actors to walk in off book with all of their lines memorized. And some of that was just the experience of, it's so hard to learn all of these words, melodies, actions that are that densely packed um, in a four-week rehearsal process. And I've, I've watched um, casts have complete emotional um, meltdowns <laughs> about week three when they, they, they start to feel like I will never be able to hold all of this in my head. So the actors walk in with all of the words known. So really what they have to learn is melody and they have to learn um, staging. And we start them with dialect, which is very important here, like where the people are from, um, what their geographical rooting is, is a really great first handle hold for these actors. So they have very intensive dialect training to begin with. Um, and um, hopefully that, that's early enough in the process that by, by the time they get in front of an audience, um, they can kind of throw that away and let their, that be unconscious. Um, it's also very direct address that I would probably 40 to 50% of the show is directly to the audience. So it makes the audience be your scene partner. So part of what you do in rehearsal for directors and music directors and stage managers is you kind of, you, you try to stay alive and available to the actors. So they've got someone to be, you know, be in communication with. And now that we've got an audience, suddenly their scene partners have, their real scene partners have arrived. Amazing. Uh, what are some of the, the locations that these characters come from? Do you have a, a few different accents? That we're gonna oh, yeah. So the, all the Gander folks are, have this Newfoundland accent, which is fiendishly difficult to learn. It, it, uh, it's, it's a little, it's very influenced by, by Irish and kind of Celtic um, sounds, but it's also got the kind of Canadian um, sounds that, you know, people par paraphrase as Utunabut, um, and um, we've got characters from all over America, quite a few Texans, Los Angeles, quite a few New Yorkers. Um, a Texan woman falls in love with a British man during the course of the show. Um, there's East Africans um, uh, characters um, there. We've, we've now got a Australian character um, who we just kind of, uh, there's a couple of characters who, um, could kind of be from anywhere. Uh, and we, and because there actually were Australian come from a ways who were, uh, stranded in Gander that, uh, week, uh, we decided to try to represent that and uh, make one of our characters an Australian. Wonderful. And do they change their movement as well? Their, their weight, their gait, their, uh, how they adjust themselves, their posture on stage as well? Do their, does their physicality shift as, as well as their voice? No question. Um, and there's very simple costume changes that's kind of support um, the different characters. So in general, like their major characters have a identifiable coat or hat or glasses, but um, in, the physicality is very crucial. And some of that is built into the choreography, which is very character specific. And some of that is just kind of invented by the cast um, as they work through the show in rehearsal. Beautiful. Okay, so moving away from the actors and into your, your role or the role of, of the many people you work with, um, how is focus, the actor's gaze, actually used potentially to enhance meaning in this work? You've talked about act-audience act address, but there may be moments where choreography of gaze is used on purpose? Hugely, yeah. No, and, and it's... Um, um, there's a, we have a, a 
complicated scheme of where the actor is looking and what their logic is. So the simplest, I mean, you're sort of, everybody's used to the kind of naturalistic idea where you imagine a fourth wall and the actors are looking at each other within the frame as though they were in, you know, a room or alone. Um, so that certainly is, you know, there's naturalism uh, at times. Um, I think it's pretty familiar as well. You know, an actor looks out and, um, talks to um, the audience um, to give them narrative information. That, because this show came from interviews, um, David and Irene, our authors, went back to the 10-year anniversary of these events and um, interviewed most of the major characters um, for the first time then. I think they had planned to stay there two days and they ended up staying four months. <laughs> Partly because the Newfoundlanders actually are so um, generous that um, very quickly they weren't living in a hotel, they were living in people's houses and people were lending them their cars and they sort of, um, they, they um, really became members of that community for the writing process and um, I think many of the cast members feel like they still are. But because the, the, the text came from interviews, we sort of make the audience be um, the interviewer. Um, so a lot of the direct address from the character is as though they're, the audience has just asked them a question. What's happening now? What should I know? What does that mean? Um, so that the interviews become direct address. It's an interesting question. The other people on stage what is their level of reality while well, one of the 12 turns out and looks at and talks to the audience? When are they aware of that? And that's part of their story. When are they trying to stay in a scene and not aware of the interview taking place? Is that interview a one person, a two person, a four person interview? Uh, and sometimes we've got a reporter character who's on stage, so the interview is actually within the frame. So there's very many different variations on eye contact but it's all in service of um, these people are trying to tell the story of the week, of that week. Whether they're telling it to each other, whether they're telling it to the audience, there is a primary storytelling objective that, that is at the center of the show. I'm sure there'll be many answers to this question, so I'll try and be very specific because it is a musical. Uh, can you think of a, a specific moment where the actors utilise the performance space in a way that... Uh, you're proud of or in a way that you think exemplifies the themes of the piece? Um, uh, you're asked, like asking which of your children you're the proudest of. Uh, there's so many different moments that I, I um, enjoy about this piece. Um, I, you know, it's funny, one of the pieces that I would, one of the moments I would call out isn't an actor moment, it's a musician moment. Um, the When we did our very first um, performance of this production of the show ever, maybe four years ago in La Jolla, um, we had written a, a playoff tune for the band to play. And at that point, the band was sort of mostly off stage um, while the audience walked out. So we got to the end of the show and none of the audience walked out. They all stayed and kind of clapped, looking at an empty stage for this four minute piece of music. So night two, we said, well, I guess we're gonna have to bring the band on stage a little bit if the audience isn't gonna leave. So they were like, kind of, we brought them into the wings and by four nights in, the uh, band was center stage with lighting and choreography because the audience just wasn't done. Uh, and, and, and so now there's, the show ends with a jam session. And it was an interesting lesson for me about how much an audience 
tells you what they need. And in rehearsals, you guess at what that is, but in actual fact, the audience gives you information. And if you can listen to it, it starts to, to, to lead you in terms of what the, um, the show should be to really satisfy uh, an audience. Because it's a, it, is a, it is a musical and choreography will be used at some point, can you just give a few examples of how the actors demonstrate the theatrical style of this show? Yeah, so the the staging of the show is very interactive between the, my work as director and Kelly Devine's work as choreographer. It is they are almost indistinguishable, um, and the choreography in this piece is really not kind of conventional musical theater dance. There's the um, uh, there's no one's wearing a tap shoe. No one's going to do a ballet move. Uh, there's no Bob Fosse hands. It's really naturalistic detail, um, abstracted and um, intensified. So there's a, a, an immense amount of choreography on the plane, um, uh, but it's really rooted in, um, you know, turning on your air, make, uh, moving your seat forward uh, at landing, um, stowing and putting down your um, seat tray, trying to get the attention of the, um, flight attendant. So it's like it's it's real life details that are kind of organized and musicalized, refined, and and finding the rhythm in twelve people executing naturalistic details in a very organized way. Um, so for the actors, like every every bar of music has some very specific movement to think about. And then their acting task becomes, how do you take that very specific movement and musical staging and, and own it and live it fully so it is part of um, an authentic human experience and not just um, robotic movement. Okay. And there are other elements that you think make this a, a musical, live singing on stage and heightened characters and things like that? Uh, so the bands on stage, um, I, it's... Uh, almost through composed. Um, it's not sung through, there's a lot of spoken text, um, but most of that spoken text lives on top of a bed of music that is very much um, uh, timed. So um, the, one of the things the actors have to do in rehearsal is really learn the timing of the score that lives underneath their spoken text so that everything times out. Um, and sometimes there's tech that's really susceptible to that as well. We have a turntable um, that, you know, it's, it's got to turn and do a revolution in two minutes and two seconds. So that music is on a click track largely. Um, and I think to the audience, if all goes well, it feels simple and organic. But the truth of the, sh the production we've made is it's incredibly... Uh, it requires all of the actors and all of the musicians and all of the technicians to be in, in incredibly tight, organized sync with each other in order to create that sensation of simplicity and improvisation. Um, it, it, what, what the audience is looking at is really largely based on 12 chairs and two tables and a turntable. That is really the tools we have given ourselves. And we chose to give ourselves very, very simple production elements in order to keep the focus on the people, the language, the music, and the story. So it's really 
and it's it's really about humans experiencing something uh and the tech is in support of that but it's very simple our technical elements now would you would you also say that this is a piece of verbatim theater or documentary theater i think it's a version of that yeah um it's it's um uh, also written um the so the the i don't know 80 or so main interviews that david and irene originally did have been um uh, accordioned down to be a much fewer number of central characters. So many of the characters are composited. Um, often they've got the first name of one real person and the last name of another real person because there's two primary interviews that have been turned into this theatrical character. But the um, most of the language is directly from the interviews. Um, and um, all of it is inspired by the interviews and and the litmus test for us as we were writing and reworking was to try to capture the the essential truth of these people even if we were sometimes um making up um individual the specifics of an individual moment for dramatic purposes right so uh, the question i was, was going to ask is how language is is used in to convey the playwright or director's intended meaning. So that's a fantastic response to that question as well, that it was purposefully uh, characters were amalgamated and merged in order to pursue uh, an idea that you had or a hope that you had that the story would tell. Uh, and a, that kindness versus desperation or generosity versus need. Is that the main story you were trying to tell through the script or is there a deeper, is there another one that we haven't mentioned? Oh, there's so many different stories within that, but I would say the center story very much is about... Um, how we take care of each other and particularly how we take care of um, strangers um, and people who um, are not our family or the next door neighbor, but people um, who cross our path who are in need. Um, there's also um, uh, it, the very extreme, interesting experience for us who made the show of um, being in constant conversation with the actual people you're representing. There's a group of, I don't know, maybe 25 or 30 of the real people um, who come to every venue. Um, they've been part of the process for years. Every, every actor who's ever in the show ends up in hours and weeks and months of conversation with the actual person they're portraying. And we tell them, hey, you don't have to impersonate that person. Um, like who you, who you are as an actor is also part of this, but they're very influenced by who the real person is. Uh, the last questions we're going to ask are about a very specific vocabulary that have uh, just been introduced for these young people in their study design that they study in year 12 in their final year. Actually, I've responded to some of these as we have gone, and these are called the elements of theatre composition. Uh, and I think you've already responded to cohesion, so I might uh, just say refer to the earlier, earlier, but you may have a different example there. So c could you think of an example of, of cohesion in the piece, how, how things have to work cohesively in, your, in this production? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, I, I would say it's um, getting the tone correct, I mean, how tone and cohesion go together, um, creating... Um, out of a very dark moment in our history, um, a, um, a story of generosity and finding the balance of the light and the dark um, has been a major source of discussion in making the show for um, the whole life of it. 
um, finding a tone that is not sentimental um, and not overly sweet and um, does justice to these people and honors the, you know, the, the thousands of people who lost their lives that day. But it's, it's actually not a story about the attacks in New York. It's a story about what happened in Newfoundland. We, we often call it a kind of 9-12 story as opposed to a 9-11 story. So finding the balance of light and dark has been an ongoing um, concern of ours. Um, and that, once you've got that balance right, I think the show feels cohesive. Um, uh, once you've got um, the, the, the opposites in balance. Beautiful. And uh, motion, you mentioned you have a, circ- a, a turntable at the back revolving stage, but there might be other moments where motion is used, that movement or implied movement of actors or design features. Absolutely. It's incredibly, um, um, the, the, the rehearsal process, the focus on um, the balance between individual movement, how an individual person's impulses um, are expressed through their body and through their movement, and how groups move, um, how groups become, are of a piece, um, it is the kind of predominant concern we've been working with, the balance between the single and the multiple. And even within, when 12 people are um, choreographically in sync, we will often break that down into three groups of four so that there is still individuation within the, um, the unison. Um, so the, we're constantly going, okay, all 12 do something different. Okay, groups one, two, and three. Like, let's, let's, let's organize for that. Okay, now it's an actual unison moment and all 12 will do identical things. That, that flow between the individual and the community is both a choreographic concern of ours and very much a thematic concern. Uh, could you give an example from the piece uh, where rhythm is maybe emphasized or rhythm is used to further a point or an idea? Yeah, so the... Um, again, the, because the, there's a there's a music bed underneath almost all of it, the 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 rhythm of the um, Celtic inspired music is very much then expresses itself in the in the actor movement as well. There's um, a couple of instruments that are very specific to Newfoundland music, and they will they're they're also specific to Celtic music, uh, which is the bowron, which is this round drum that is very much the heartbeat of the show and the fiddle and the pipes. So those three instruments, um, all of whom are very rhythmic, um, really provide a guidepost that we use for the choreography. Um, and um, the beginning and the end really are um, kind of the kind of dances you would have in a, in a bar or a celebration or a reunion, but really all the way through it, naturalistic detail expresses itself as rhythmic movement as supported by the Balron drum. Amazing answer. Thank you. Okay. Uh, uh, three more. So only three left. Uh, uh, emphasis is a really vital uh, element of theater composition as they all are, but how emphasis is used that often can uh, dictate or let the audience know what the director's clear vision is. Is there a moment in the piece where you use emphasis to highlight your intended meaning or? emphasis at all <laughs> i would say again every moment of the show the um 
because there's 12 people on stage at most times, the, when we first started started uh, teching it, it became clear, wow, we really have a, we have to be, do what often a, a cinematographer will do in film. We have to tell the eye where to look um, because there's too much visual information with 12 people on stage. So most of the show happens in um, direct address is captured in a spotlight. Um, there's three spotlight operators, or I think that you call them domes here, um, who are doing um, incredibly difficult, fast work to tell the eye where to look at any given time. And um, because there is so, such a density of information um, coming at the audience from these interviews, we often find that um, the, the, the acting starts to over articulate and over like every word starts to be important and therefore nothing is, is very important. So we, we often have to do a kind of process and we've, we're just in the middle of that with this cast of reminding ourselves what are the, the active keywords in a sentence and making sure that those are activated alive and electric and that less the, the words which are not keywords are more often thrown away a little bit to keep both the kind of um, truthfulness of the of the feel of just talking, right? Where when you're just when I'm just talking to you, not every single word I'm saying is important. Some of them are passing words. So there's definitely all night long a, lot, a, a real density of conversations about how is language, what is the focus of the, linguistically of individual words, what are the important words, and what are the throwaways, and then also visually, who's got the story follow spot, get them down center, get other people focusing on them and take the light off of everybody else and make sure that their physical life is simple enough that your eye can get to the story in, a, in four words over for their single phrase and then back some, somewhere else for the next, uh, the next sentence. We talked a little bit about finding, well, you talked a little bit and I listened, about contrast and finding the light and the dark. And I'm wondering, that is one of the elements of theatre composition, contrast or juxtaposition of different or opposing aspects. I wonder if you can give us an example of a moment of contrast or juxtaposition in the piece. Yeah, so we're constantly um, contrasting um, serious moments and comic moments. There's quite a lot of comedy in the show. Um, it's very important to me directorially that that comedy be character-based and story and language-based and not kind of ever farcical or pushing for its comedy. That the authenticity and the grounding of everything really remain even in comic moments. But definitely the primary contrast I would say is between the serious and the comic. And again, there's a very organic guidepost for that, which is the Newfoundlanders when they tell you one of a story will tend to tell you a serious story with a joke at the end. Like they're never going to just leave you bleak they're always leavening things with some comedy or some wryness. Um, and so we take our cue from the Newfoundlanders and make sure that there is always dark in the light and light in the dark. And the last uh, element of theatre composition is variation, uh, which is changing the dynamics of the interpretation that could be through tension or conflict, intensity or energy, the use of space. Uh, similar to contrast, but uh, more specific in, in little moments, how there's variety within the piece. Would you say, as a director, you have uh, moments of variation across the piece? Uh, 
I hope so. I hope you will feel that <laughs> uh, when, when you all see it, uh, if you have not already. Um, very much the, the, the kind of, because, because there's 12, the same 12 people in such a simple scheme of, of 12 chairs and two tables, variety and, um, and as you say, contrast have been a big focus of ours. I would say we have really tried to um, uh, create a score that um, has builds, crescendos, moments of excitement, takes us back down to simplicity um, uh, regularly, that has both um, excitement and edges and also um, breath in it. Um, so the, at this point, as the actors learn the score, which is one of the first things they do in rehearsals, they're also learning the kind of guideposts for the shape of the dynamics of the show. Amazing. Well, that was my last question, but is there anything else that you think audiences should know or you'd like them to know before coming and seeing the show? Um, no, I guess I, I would say just as a director, I've never had the experience before of having an audience watch a show about real events um, where I think that they're mostly also thinking about their own lives and either their experiences on 9-11 or their experiences um, with different kinds of political violence or even just like taking care of neighbors. Like there is a double, there's a, a audiences think about their own story as they're watching our story. Um, and I find that um, very moving. And I would say in the lobbies, lobby afterwards and outside the theater, people tend to want to talk about their own lives to you as well as the show. And I love that about our show. Beautiful. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Christopher Ashley. My pleasure. That is all from us at The Aside. You can find more about Come From Away at comefromaway.com.au. You have been listening to The Aside. There are a number of episodes in the bank, so feel free to go through those and find one that piques your interest. If you would like to suggest a topic for a future episode or you would like to ask us a question, please do not hesitate to do so at asidepodcast at outlook.com. You can find The Aside Podcast on the Apple Podcasting app, Android Podcasting apps, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and now Spotify. Thank you very much to Eltham College for letting us record here. Thank you to Aaron Searle for providing the music. Thank you to Drama Victoria for their ongoing support. And of course, thank you for listening.